Well, this morning we continue this little four-week series that I'm doing out of the Psalms. We began last week with Psalm 1, and for the next uh, three weeks we'll be in Psalm 50, Psalm 51, and Psalm 52. The thing that you need to know about the Psalms, if you don't know it already, is that it's an edited book. It's a group of folks over time putting together psalms in a particular order and classifying them in a particular way and scholars have tried to figure out why they grouped certain psalms together and and so you you'll see that often when you're reading in the psalms that they they sort of answer one another they they're in conversation with each other and that is very true of psalms 50 51 and 52. And so I I invite you over these next three weeks to listen for the way in which the themes are repeated and kind of we are given an example of of how to respond to certain facts about God. But today we're looking at Psalm 50, a psalm that is about how we relate to God and what God invites from us, what God asks from us. And so let's look together at the 50th psalm. The mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire and a mighty tempest all around him. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel. I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every wild animal of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the air, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and all that is in it is mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls, or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving, and pay your vows to the Most High. Call on me. In the day of trouble, I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. But to the wicked, God says, What right have you to recite my statutes, or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind you. You make friends with a thief when you see one, and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free rein for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your kin, and you slander your own mother's child. These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought that I was one just like yourself. But now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Mark this, then, you who forget God, or I will tear you apart, and there will be no one to deliver. Those who bring thanksgiving as their sacrifice honor me. To those who go the right way, I will show the salvation of God. Would you pray with me, please? 
Lord, help us this day to sit in silence and watch and wait. Help us to contemplate the magnitude of your presence. Help us to see our own smallness and yet also your choice to engage us. Help us to rest in that place. And so equip us to offer that sacrifice of gratitude to you. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a friend from seminary. In fact, we sat next to each other at graduation who later became a colleague when I worked at University Presbyterian Church. His name is Tim Snow. And Tim tells a story that came to mind this morning. He has a, a little plaque on his desk or had a little plaque on his desk at UPC and it said it was a carved piece of driftwood and it said I'm smaller than I look and it sat there almost like a nameplate at the front of his desk and and one day I heard him tell the story of the origins of that quotation he was teaching swimming one summer while he was up here he was raised in California but up here visiting his wife to be Carol and teaching swimming at View Ridge Pool in Seattle. And there was a little girl named Sydney who was in his class, and she was only three and a half years old, and she had just finished and graduated from the floater class, and uh, so did not yet know how to swim, but was there with, you know, probably the typical seven or eight students lined up at the three-foot-deep section of the pool standing on the deck, and. Tim engaged them and said, okay, we're going to jump in the water now, and I want you to jump in and hold on to the side, because the water, quite frankly, was over most of their heads, because Sydney was only three and a half, and three feet was the depth of the water. It was Sydney who replied to this, not in a fearful way, but just kind of in an admonishing sort of way to Tim, and she said, you know, I'm smaller than I look. <laughs> It was signaling all sorts of things, I think. And perhaps one of the things that was signaling that, that statement was, I'm not sure I can do this. She did it. She jumped in and did kind of flounder, and Tim helped her back to the side. So she was signaling, you know, I'm not sure I have the capacity for this, but I need you to notice me. I need you to notice me right now because I may need some help. She went ahead and had the courage to listen to the teacher's invitation, but also wanted him to know that I need you not to take your eyes off of me because if you take them off of me for too long, I'm not sure how I'm going to do. I'm smaller than I look. I think it's a statement that is the beginning of wisdom. It's not saying I am nothing. It's not saying I'm surely going to fail, but what it's saying is I'm needing you to know I'm pretty scared and I just may need your help. I'm smaller than I look. And I think Psalm 50 is kind of an exposition of what it means to make this confession. I'm smaller than I look. It's an exposition of this reality in terms of our relationship with God. It's as if what God calls on us to do through the psalmist here is take note of the truth that next to God, 
we are pretty small. That we are creatures. And that God is the creator. But that even in our smallness, we are loved and can be assured of the presence of God's outstretched hand. It's possible to read Psalm 50 and just hear a kind of priggish God who's telling us to shape up. But I think there's something far more deep about the 50th Psalm, and I'd like to talk about that. It starts out with basically the foundation of the whole Psalm, which is God is God. That seems to be a self-evident truth. God is God, and I always add the rejoinder, and we aren't God. That's part of what Psalm 50 is, is pointing to. And so it starts out in those first four verses. The mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. God created it. God ordains that it keep its movements going. That out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire and a mighty tempest all around him. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. God is God and we are not God. And then there is an invitation to a conversation. God says, gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Gather to me those who worship here in the temple, who, who come and make these sacrifices to me. I, I need to talk to you. And this is what he says. You look at verses 7 through 23 and, and you see this. It's as if God is saying, I, I want to talk about these sacrifices that are a big part of your worship. I want to talk about these acts of devotion that define what you do when you come here to this temple to worship. They aren't the point, is God's basic point here. They aren't the point. They are designed only and merely to point to the point. They aren't an end in and of themselves. They don't really accomplish that much more than helping you to pay attention to the truth that the cattle on a thousand hills are already mine. And by the way, your sacrifices are plentiful and they're done in good order. I don't have any beef with you about how you're doing them. But I don't really need you to give me bigger and better sacrifices. Verses 7 and following. Here, O my people, and I will speak. I will testify against you. I am God. And not just God. I am your God. I have a relationship with you. And it's not for your sacrifices that I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. You're doing a good job, in other words. But I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every wild animal of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know the birds of the air and all that moves in the field is mine. You can't impress me, is what God is saying here. But I don't need you to do that. I made everything you're sacrificing to me. The point is not your sacrifice. The point is the way your sacrifice points to the point, which is relationship with me. 
So let me tell you what makes me smile, God goes on to say. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and all that is in it is mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? And the obvious rejoinder of that is no. So offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Pay your vows to the Most High. Call on me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. There's three key words there. First of all, offer. Bring it. But bring on this sacrifice of thanksgiving. Bring on this sense of gratitude that is an expression of what you're doing in these other kinds of sacrifices. Recognize me as your source of life and give me a sacrifice of gratitude. And then pay. Pay your vows. In other words, keep your promises. Do what you said you're going to do. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Do what you say you'll do. Have integrity. Live an integrated life. And finally, call. Reach out. Cry out to me. Cry out to me in trouble and take my outstretched hand. I'll be there. And then the psalmist moves on and talks about the opposite of righteousness and talks about wickedness. And in verses 16 through 21, essentially tells us what wickedness looks like and then says, you know, your sacrifices offered when your heart is in this dark place really mean absolutely nothing. What right have you to recite my statutes or take your covenant on, my, on your lips when you hate discipline, when you cast my words behind you, when you make friends with a thief or keep company with adulterers, when you give your mouth free reign for evil and your tongue frames deceit? What relationship does that darkness have with the light that you're trying to shed and give off and reflect in and through your sacrifices and your religion? It's an unintegrated life. It's a divided heart that he's speaking of here. One that's very competent in the ways of religion, but has forgotten that it isn't about religion. It isn't about keeping the rules. It's about relationship with the one who has created us. What will put you back together, says God, what will create an integrated heart, what will break down the walls that you have built between doing and being, is this work of understanding that it's all about this relationship. The psalm ends with, Mark this then, you who forget God, or I will tear you apart. And you know, I think if you take this verse out of context with everything else, then you kind of envision God as some ravenous lion who's just ripping apart his prey and punishing it somehow. But it's the divided heart that tears us apart. It's the lack of integration that tears us apart. It's the duplicity of playing with religion and not having relationship that tears us apart. But those who bring a thanksgiving as their sacrifice honor me to those who go the right way, to those who walk on this way of integration and relationship, 
I will show the salvation of God. It's about recognizing our true source of life and living in gratitude for that. Gratitude that directs our feet in the right way. It's about gratitude, not groveling. But we get that mixed up all the time. It's not like the bumper sticker that we sometimes see on certain cars, Jesus is coming, look busy. It's not about acting as if we're obeying. It's about responding in gratitude to the one who has called us in relationship. It's not about, I better try harder to look bigger than I actually am, because if I don't, he'll wipe me out. It's not about groveling. It's about gratitude. There's an African-American playwright and actress, Charlene Woodard, who does a one-woman show called Pretty Fire. I saw this play years ago, right after we moved to Seattle. It was at the Seattle Rep. Like I said, it's a one-woman play where Woodard is talking about stories from her childhood. She grew up in upstate New York, but in the summers she would go with her family to visit her grandmother who lived in the South. And a lot of those stories have to do with things that, that actually the title story, Pretty Fire, is about this little 10-year-old girl seeing a cross burning in her grandmother's front yard and not knowing what it was and not knowing the hate behind it and the, the terror behind it. Says, oh, pretty fire, pretty fire. It's such pretty fire and her grandmother responds violently to her and says, that's not pretty fire. But she tells another story of going to church with her grandmother and her grandmother always giving her a nickel to go to church with to put in the plate and telling her that's the Lord's money, that's God's money, so you be sure and put that in the plate. And the way Woodard talks about that nickel is she said, I made darn sure I put that nickel in the plate every single Sunday because I didn't want nothing that belonged to that God. I didn't want to be caught with nothing that belonged to that God. So let him have it because I don't need anything that belongs to him. That's groveling. That's about keeping God at arm's length because if you don't, you're in trouble. That's about a sacrifice. That's about diverting God's attention away from you and onto something else because you don't want his eyes on you. You know, scripture says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And sometimes we confuse that word fear with the notion of groveling, of trying to run as far away as we can from God. And that's not the wisdom that the writer's talking about. It's not the kind of fear that Charlene Woodard speaks of because that kind of fear is about keeping God at arm's length and doing what you can do to appease him so as to not be noticed. The fear that the scriptures are talking about that is the beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom is awe at the mixture of his grandeur 
and his grace. His absolute unapproachability, that thing that stops our mouths and makes us silent. And the reality that this God has reached his hand out to us in Jesus Christ. It's the fear that's not embodied in the prayer, please don't wipe me out. But it is the prayer, it's amazing that you extend your hand to me. And that stops me in my tracks. So as the psalmist says, offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon God in the day of trouble. Relate to the one who has created you for relationship with himself. And do so in the confidence that there's nothing that can separate you from God's love. Let's pray. Let your grace foster gratitude in us, O God. And then allow the the light of your grace to reflect off of us that we might share that grace and love with others and offer you that sacrifice of thanksgiving. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.